Gratitude That's my everyday All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. Got a really cool guest and just got done with an amazing conversation. Uh, Really blew me away, this man's story, what he's been through, and the healing journey that he's been on. Uh, We, yeah, we really dove deep. His name is Sam Morris. Um, Came, he lives here in Austin, got to know him over the last year in this uh, mastermind community that I've been a part of. And didn't know too much about his personal journey uh, and the healing work that he's done. And we really dive into it uh, during this conversation. He really opens up and he's vulnerable about his journey with alcoholism, drug addiction, um, dealing with sobriety, going through AA, and then eventually um, doing this really deep healing work. Uh, We talk about psychedelics, both of our experiences with psychedelics and and the, the power and the healing that it's had on both of our lives. Uh, but man, the journey this guy's been on is truly, truly incredible. I know it's going to offer a lot of value to those of you that listen. Um, and I'm really stoked to to share this conversation with you. And if it does resonate or you think it might help somebody that's, you know, maybe struggling with some of the stuff that Sam has worked through, um, go ahead and share it with them. And it does go a long way if you leave a review and rate the podcast, um, helping grow my audience, grow the podcast so that we can get these stories out um, to a wider audience to hopefully have a positive impact on the world. Uh, This guy's story is is truly incredible. I'm really stoked to share it with you guys. Uh, But first, let me plug a few things. First, my Sarah, or my wife, my wife, my Sarah, she is my Sarah. My wife, Sarah, uh, is launching her new tech platform. It is a fully remote job platform. So if you are a small to medium-sized business looking for remote professionals to help you grow and scale your business and build a team um, and find people that really fit fit your culture, go check it out. It's called growmotely.com, growmotely.com. If you're, you know, someone that's looking for work as well, uh, go check it out. If you value freedom, like me and Sarah do both working from home, uh, creating the life that we want to live, then go check it out. It's uh, growmotely.com. And the community that I'm building is uh, really growing and really excited uh, about the the members that have joined already and looking to bring on the right type of guys that are going to add to the co-creation that is the Heart Collective. So if you're a former male professional athlete um, looking for you know a group of guys that can share and understand the similar experience of what it's like you know, leaving professional sports and trying to find deeper meaning and purpose in life. You don't have to do it alone. Uh, And a true warrior never does it alone. And this community is really about supporting uh, each other in the mission to find deeper meaning uh, in life and purpose and community and feeling supported on that journey. Go check out theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. And also, if you don't already follow my newsletter, that's where I'm doing or sharing a lot of my content. I have a weekly newsletter and I share all my podcasts through that. That should be in the show notes. So make sure you sign up for that. And yeah, is there anything else? I love you all. And I would love to hear your guys' feedback. If you have any on the podcast, reach out to me. The best way is probably to send me a, send me an email on the newsletter, reply to, to any of those emails. Um, yeah. Without further ado, this is a podcast with my good friend and uh, amazing story, Sam Morris. Enjoy. 
What is up, Sam Morris? Thanks for uh, making the journey down to my house. We're doing a podcast in person. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mr. Joe Holly, thank you so much for having me. I, How you li- doing? I live about four and a half minutes away. So Yeah, where do you live? Down? Uh, like just the other side of Congress, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah. How do you like Austin? Love Austin, man. Austin was one of those cities where it was like, it turned out to be the best place I've ever lived. Um, and I, and when I moved here, I thought like I had things on my list that I came and I saw Austin as like, you know, college football is big for me. Tacos, uh, warm weather <laughs> in that order. Yeah. Pretty much in this order. Yeah. Country music's huge. Like yeah. these are all things that are really important to me. And I'm like, well, Austin has all these things. And mm. then I'm like, so it's, it had like, you know, I, I describe it like this. Austin was like the hot girl across the bar that you're like, wow, she's beautiful. And then you go talk to her and she starts talking about spirituality and psychedelics and other things <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like she actually has substance too. And that's what happened with me with Austin. It was like attractive from afar. Like I love all these things. And then I got here and the people I met and the things that started happening in my life were like, ah, the energy, like this is why I'm here. Yeah. It's hard to explain the energy here, but it's definitely it, palpable. It's so good, man. Like, and you've lived here like a year? Yeah. I moved here in November, 2019. And what brought you here initially? Besides so, the football and tacos. <laughs> um, it, so the Bay Area, I was there for seven years um, or six years. And then you know, I had a relationship that came to an abrupt end in January of 2019. And I was pretty spun out about it, pretty heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, my first inclination was like, I got to get out of here. And I was going to go to LA or San Diego. But I just something was like, no, like that's, that's a move that, an, that old Sam would have made, just like that cut and run. Mm. You know, not, and so I was like, I'm going to sit with, let this heal for a little bit, let this dust settle around this. Mm. And then in um, like September, I was actually down in San Diego for a a business retreat. And I was like, you know, I just had this, like my central nervous system was relaxed and I felt like connection to the people I was with. And I said to my, it just became clear to me, like, I think it's time to get out of the Bay Area. Mm. And I said to myself, well, you know, I've been in California for six years and, you know, I've, I've always wanted to go to Austin. So I came to visit for a weekend and it was like those things. Like it was like country music, warm weather, college football and tacos. And mm. it was a Saturday. <laughs> I was here for 10 days and it was a Saturday. I was sitting at Little Woodrow's over on 6th, eating tacos, country music was playing, <clears throat> college football on TV. The Day of the Dead Festival was downtown. I was like, yeah, this is the place. Mm. And so I signed a lease the next day. And then I was here about two weeks later. So the initial thing was like when that relationship ended, in the Bay Area. I mean, the Bay Area was amazing for me because it was when, where I moved when I put down the drinks and the drugs. And so I, I really, the, my life got really good in the Bay Area. I found my passion and career and I met good people and it was a really upgrade in my life. But, you know, at, at the end of it, I was there for the girl. Mm. And so when that ended, I realized like, I don't really have any people here. Yeah, nothing's like, grounding you into that city. Nothing, mm. man. I had no connection to that area or California at all. And so I was just like, you know, I need to like, I need to go somewhere where it has things like college football is not big there. Mm. I mean, they have tacos, but like, there's a lot of, there was just a big, <laughs> tacos. Just California a, is more about the burritos though. True. true yeah. yeah, absolutely. I just like, it. I just felt disconnected from the area and I just was like, you know, I just want to go somewhere where I feel connected and mm. it was Austin. Yeah. Nice. And, and you're about to move. To Tulum, I am. Yeah. Well, so what's the what's the impetus behind that? So uh, the impetus behind that, I was in. I went down to Tulum for the first time um, back in early January, and I was there for three weeks, and just I fell in love with it, man. Mm. Um, you know, it was uh, to get right into it. Like I, 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 I honestly feel like I found myself there. Mm. You know, like I, uh, I felt it was very healing for me to be there in, in Mexico by myself, and just to be in that kind of with myself 
and just be there and accept like the abundance and accept yeah. like the, the, this is available and like, I can be here and be okay. And like, I felt like a central nervous system kind of relax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since I've been back, I've done some integration work on it. And, you know, I've been here 46 years in America and, there, and there's some energetic cords here mm-hmm. and some of them are great. Some of them are painful. And I felt like a, a, a separation from that when I was in down there for three weeks and I just felt like, you know what, like I need to be here a little longer. Mm. I need to come down here for like three months and just like let some things relax, like let my nervous system relax, get out of like a fight or flight tendency that I tend towards mm. and just like, you know, be here. Cause I can do what I do like with work. Remotely. Or, yeah. yeah. And nice. um, it just, you know, I met I, the P meeting people there is easy and it's, I love warm weather and the beaches. And so it was like this, I just need to, I need to be here a little longer. So I originally said three months. And then the, I was looking at apartments and they're like six month minimum. I'm like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. So it's another place that's just really special energy. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like Sedona. Mm. Like they have the vortexes there and the, the, mm. Ma- the Mayans and the land there is like super spiritual and super connected and grounding. So, so when you, when you say you found yourself there during that time, is yeah. this like an abrupt awakening or was this just a place where you felt a little bit more at peace within yourself? Like talk a little bit about what that means. Yeah. So I, the, at peace within myself for sure. Like I, uh, I was down there and, um, you know, one of the things that came to me, um, one is like, I, I, I truly got definition on my purpose here. Like I, for the first time it came to me loud and clear, like this is my purpose. And we can get into that in a little bit because yeah, there's something I'd behind there's something behind okay, that. Backstory. But, yeah. okay. <laughs> but so when I was there, um, I actually uh, the first Thursday I was there, and you know Madhu um, with John and Celeste, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Bufo guy. Yeah. The so I did a combo and Bufo meditate or um, ceremony with him on the beach, like the Thursday I got there. Wow, I'd love yeah. to talk more about Bufo with you as well. For sure, man. Because we'll you've get, done it a few times now. Yeah, you were. There yeah. last time I was yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Walked out, walked out of the booth and <laughs> saw you man. there. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like you go to sleep, you wake up and I'm there. Yeah. Like, oh, I just yeah. manifested here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So anyways, I was, I was there and like in between the combo and the bufo, cause I do the combo first with a little bit of bufo to kind of just get into it. And, and the, talk about the combo. Cause I mean, some of my listeners might not know what any of this is. So the combo is like a purgative, right? That's yeah, totally. Not, a- not, very, not some, there's no euphoria. There's no real psychedelic involved. It's more of like a, um, a flushing of your whole body systems, mm-hmm. like spiritual, physical, emotional. Like you just, you really like it, it kind of, it comes on like a, like a freight train. Oh, yeah. Like you, do, you, know, you get the, the burn, you, they burn however many, like four to nine dots on your skin. And that's and then, like a venom from a, a tree frog, right? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the venom of, so they're both combo and bufo are both from the frog, oh, the toads. Interesting. And so the combo is like you, you know, you sit there, they give you the bucket, they make you drink like three liters of water before you go in. So you actually have something to purge. But you know, the first thing is from my experience is that like immediately start just like profusely sweating mm-hmm. and it's just flushing, you know, it's flushing out. And then you kind of get into like, you do feel a little like, you know, that kind of like wonky kind of loopy like a, kind like of a food poisoning coming on kind of thing. Like, kinda, I'm about to yeah, throw up. like like when you're about to like, if you stand up too fast, yeah. like that kind of thing. And so then from there it's about, 
you know, you're you're in it until it's done with you, and then it's just like you're either throwing up. Some people the other end, and so. But like for me, it's like mostly like just a lot of sweating and just like. And how long does that last? That uh, like intense like twenty minutes, maybe okay. 15, 20 minutes. And then, and when you're coming out of it, is it just like an hour or so of like feeling kind of exhausted? I'm sure that's pretty energetically yeah. wearing you out. Actually, it is. Like for that, for about ten minutes afterwards, you feel like you just want to lay there and not do much, mm-hmm. and then afterwards you stand up and you stretch it off stretch it out and just kind of like come back into reality and you actually feel pretty good. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you feel pretty clean. And then you go straight into Bufo. No. Okay. So um, I did a little bit, there is, with Madhu, there was a little, I've done combo by itself and then this time was combo with um, like a meditative dose of Bufo, mm-hmm. which is, you know, So it wasn't like, a full journey. No, it wasn't okay. the full journey yet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, so we did that and then this is where, this is where kind of like the finding myself part comes in is that we did that journey um, and it was like, so you, you stand up and you kind of come to, and then it's like, he's like, all right, go out, go take a walk on the beach, go into the ocean, like wash off the sweat and, you know, just kind of get yourself together. And so I was out there in Mexico looking like in the Caribbean water, like this, I mean, just like the actual, just being there physically, it was just amazing. Yeah. Like sitting well, there I, in the I just dropped into that. It's so mm, good. Yeah. yeah. Like sitting in that crystal clear blue mm-hmm. water, like bath water, basically like really warm, but like also refreshing. Yeah. I just looked back at the coast and I just saw like this line of palm trees and I'm like, for a moment it was like, oh, like it's all available. Mm. Like all of it's available, you know, like the, like whatever we want is available. And so as I was walking along the beach, it just became clear to me, like, this is healing. And this is like, this is where I'm like finding myself is like in this, like these, this healing that's happened for me for the past, like, so we met through FFS, like since I joined that, the healing over the past five or six months has been just like, I mean, I can't even explain the next level healing that's happened. Profound. Yeah. Profound is the really great word for it. But you know, I had been, I, like I said, eight years ago, I put down drinking and drugs and like, it's not to say I didn't heal for those first seven and a half years, but it was work. Mm. You know, I had to do a lot of, there was a lot of work to get to the point where I now can experience this healing. And that was what I found in Mexico. As far as like finding myself was like, I've done this work to clean up kind of the excess shell mm. of like the, the, stuff. the foundation. To right. Go deep. It, it, totally. Yeah. And that's the analogy I use. It's like mm. when you're building a house, you got to excavate the rocks and the tree roots mm-hmm. if you want to have a solid house. And so I feel like, it occurred to me that like I'm now I've moved into the, like the actual healing and allowing myself to be me and mm. to like live my purpose and to show up as myself. And like all that work I did for seven and a half years has now gotten me to the point where I'm allowing this healing to happen. Mm, I love Which, that. Yeah. yeah. Let's back up then. Let's talk a little bit about the journey, you know, you, you you're with drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and what was the, the kind of catalyst to, to give that up. Cause obviously there's probably some kind of dark night of the soul there. And <laughs> yeah. then, you know, the, the second part of the journey, which is giving that up and laying the foundation for this real deep healing work. Yeah. So, um, the addiction, the alcohol that started for real. I mean, you know, with that, with that kind of behavior, like there's always signs, there's always things pointing in that direction. Um, my, the real struggle for me was age 23 to 38. So, um, the, the I can say the addiction was kind of the end of the journey for me. It was kind of like it, it was the dark night of the soul in the sense that it sh- it showed me everything that it took me 15 years to figure it out, but it showed me everything that I needed to know to move into this healing process and this and this like 
being me and it's one of those things you look back on and you're grateful for because it got you to where it you took me to a be. long time to say that but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was does. really painful but yeah totally like it i mean it's like talk about some of the pain that was coming up and, and the reasons that you went to drugs and alcohol to to fight it yeah so that all started when i was really really young um so when i was born there's you know, I've done a lot of work on this. So I, I've got, it's funny because it, as the addiction happened, you kind of work your way back through layers of things. And so I've gotten to the point now where like there was an energetic exchange between me and the world and the womb and my mom's womb because she was pregnant with me for four months and four months and thought that I was cancer. Not me personally. She didn't think like, Sam, you're cancer, but she thought she had cancer for the first four months. She didn't know she was pregnant. Mm -mm. Oh, wow. So there's been, there that started a, a, a weird energetic exchange between me and like the spirit world and the, the physical world of like, I need to fight or, you know, like I need to, I need to prove my love. I need to, I need to create reasons to be loved. Mm. And so when I was born, um, the umbilical cord got wrapped around my head and I had to have an emergency C-section. And there's, there's a lot of research that shows like having that kind of experience coming into the world is, is really ener negative, negatively energetically charged. Sure, yeah. yeah. So you I mean, double whammy before you're even alive. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> Holy shit. My, the message I was getting was like, this is going to be rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, you're going to have to fight. And so then, um, emergency section, everything, you know, I'm grow up fine, but I, I didn't really grow up fine, but um, the birth was ended up being okay. But then I had asthma. Um, really severe asthma, really severe food allergies. And uh, I had a tendency to choke on my food a lot growing up. Mm. And all these three things, like, you know, the umbilical cord, basically I'm not getting oxygen, I can't breathe. So all three of those things are the direct the correlation there is like lack of air. Mm. You know, food gets stuck in your throat, you can't breathe. A food allergy, allergic reaction, your throat swells up, you can't breathe. Asthma, your lungs don't work, you can't breathe. So I had all this evidence that like breath, like the basic existence of human life, the basic thing that helps us survive yeah. is not available to me. Mm. And so th that, and combined with the fact that, you know, the energies told me that I'm not lovable, mm. like, you know, I have to fight for love. So I had, I created all this stuff to be saved. Mm. So I, I learned very early on, or I decided very early on that in order to be loved, I had to have a reason to be saved. Mm. And so that meant like <clears throat> growing up, it was asthma attacks or food allergy attacks, anaphylaxis, where like physically as a five-year-old kid, like if you eat a peanut, you, you can't do much for yourself. Mm. You have to be rushed to the hospital. And same, similar with asthma, if it's two in the morning and you're nine years old and you have an asthma attack, you know, you need someone to come in and save you. Mm. So I had this, I just, I, and it was working for me. Like I was getting all, a lot of attention and I was getting a lot of like, honestly, it sounds backwards but i was getting a lot of like validation and attention people were having to save you which is the and deep that, underlying unconscious behavior that was happening right energetically so that was my version of love mm. was to be saved and so all through my life like and so all this fight or flight all this these these like miscommunications these misunderstandings were that i didn't have time to figure out self-love so the real root behind all my addiction and that destructive behavior was lack of self-love. Like I just didn't know. Mm. I didn't even, like the idea of self-love was a complete foreign concept to me. I didn't even know about it. And yeah. not to say I was like actively saying, I don't love myself, I hate myself, but the behavior would suggest. I mean, how do you know as a kid, right? Like that's even what is needed. <laughs> right, yeah. you don't. And so I had, but I had determined, so like that saving conversation, that story, I brought that with me through relationships, through jobs, um, with my parents financially, with all the way through addiction. Like if very I, destructive, it's totally yeah. destructive. Like because basically, I had to create really, really bad things in my life to be saved in order to feel loved. 
Wow. So like I went to rehab six times, um, ended up in jail a bunch. Like I was in jail for eight nights one time, um, fell off a balcony 35 feet, landed on my right side, uh, cancer twice in my mouth. This is all through addiction. Mm -hmm. And like all these things were like, looking back, they were just like reasons of self-sabotage so that like I I was just searching, please love me, please love me because I don't know how to love myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what self-love is. And so the through the addiction, like and people would ask me, don't you love yourself? And I'm like thinking like, yeah, like I like what I, I love myself. Like I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I like that guy. But like, yeah. it's much, much deeper than that. Like, sure. Yeah. And yeah, you really like, and this gets into like parts work and shadow work. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember as a kid, like for some reason I hated my legs. Like I just, the shape of them. Like it was like, a, I, I would just like have these things. Where do you that, think that came from? I I still to, I can't figure that one out. That's yeah. a really random one, but I think it's it really you love is, your legs now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like now I'm good with it, but yeah. like at the same time, like I think it was just like I have to have like these reasons would pop up about why I'm not lovable. And one of the things that so one of the things on the so I'm creating these reasons to be saved, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that is that I have this other conversation going on that I'm a burden. Mm. I'm a burden to my family. I'm a burden to the world. I'm a burden to my like team sports. You know, I gravitated, I played tennis all through college because tennis was an individual sport. And the first thing was, is like, if I'm on the basketball court and I have an asthma attack, I immediately feel like I'm letting my team down. I'm a burden. Wow. And so tennis, if I'm out there by myself, like if I make a mistake or like have an asthma attack, whatever it is, I'm You're not, not letting like, other people down. Just me. Yeah. It's all on me. Wow. So like golf, tennis, skiing were like my three big sports. And mm. so like, they're all individual. Yeah, And so I had this conversation of being a burden, which is, honestly, it appears in direct contradiction to be needing to be saved Mm. because, you know, they're they're too, like, if I'm a burden, I don't want you to pay, like, I don't want to be a burden, but yet you have to save me. Yeah. Conflict right there. Yeah. Wow. And now in relationships, you know, like I would say like the, the phrase, I love you, I would tell, we'd fall in love. The girls and I would fall in love. I got married and we fell in love and all this stuff, but subconsciously, if I say I love you and you say you love me too, I'm expecting you to save me now. Like mm. now, now we've, we've signed a contract where I'm going to need you to save. I'm going to create problems and you're going to have to come in and save me. Because you said you love me and that's what I think love is. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that never ends well. Yeah. That's putting a lot of, it comes down to this thing. concept that we can only give love and receive love to the extent that we love ourselves. hundred percent. Right? I, I want to know, because, you know, doing this deep healing work, I find it fascinating when we were able to get back to these deep stories of like, in the womb, mm-hmm. this is what I experienced. Like, how, how did you uncover that? Like, where did that actual understanding come from? Because a lot of people will be like, well, how do, how do you even know that? I mean, obviously having a conversation with your mom about her thinking that. Yeah. But how did you uncover that story? So for, I mean, I knew about the story for a while, like mm. pretty much ever. Like it's always been kind of a, like a running joke. Like, ha ha ha. Like she thought she was pregnant with me for four months. And like, I never really connected the dots until pretty recently, like really going into the psychedelic stuff was like, holy crap, like that, like I feel like I can so relate to that feeling of just like, just please, just like, don't, no, no, no. Like I'm not cancer. Please see me. Please hear me. Mm. Please, like I exist. Like I need to be loved. Like treat me. And like, and just, so in those first seven years or so of, of recovery, like it's a lot of working and healing the stuff you know, like the stuff that I literally can sit down and write. Like, I know this, like, Mm -hmm. I know I have social anxiety. Let's heal that. Like, I know I'm uncomfortable going on dates without drinking. Let's heal that. Like, I know I tend towards depression, heal that. 
And so after seven years, I'm like, well, these cycles are repeating themselves. Mm. And this breaking up with this girl breaking up with me was like a trigger for another depression. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go again. And so then I, I, it just became clear, like, I need to find out what it is that I don't know. Because I'm operating in all this, like, I know, I know, I know, which is valid and necessary. But at the same time, after a while, like. There's deeper underlying stuff that's coming up if you're not able to, like, look at it and it keeps showing up, it keeps showing up. Yeah, and you're like, well, I keep doing the same work. Like, why why does it keep coming back? Like, there's something I don't know. Mm. And so I just opened myself up, like, show me things that I don't know. And what did that look like? Like, asking the universe? Yeah, basically, like, just, like, shifting my perspective of, like, the victim mentality, which is heavy with me, mm. um, you know, it, it's a hook. Yeah. And so like shifting that from like, I'm not, be, I'm just, this is all these times that I fall into victim mode is honestly, it's those things that instead of just falling into victim mode and being the victim, like that's something I don't know. Mm. Like there, there's a hook in there that like I haven't looked at yet. Mm. And so basically opening myself up to looking at those things as like, what is this trying to show me? Mm. What's the divinity here? Like, where where is this taking me? And like, opening up to like going down that rabbit hole, as opposed to just saying like, you know, for me, it's like, do you treat the root or do you treat the symptom? Mm. You know, if you if you're knowing and knowing, if you get into a depression, the basic when you get in depression, like you're treating depression, which is a symptom of something else, mm. something else. And so, treating that depression over and over and over, like you treat the depression, the depression goes away. You're like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I but, fixed it. Yeah, I fixed it. I don't, I'm not depressed anymore. I can get yeah, out of the house. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, you basically just put a Band-Aid on both. Yeah, and, and that's so, beautiful. I love that because that's that's where really where, you know, even people that have the resistance of like this deep healing work, like I don't really have anything to heal, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like these deeper stories and in, in the lens in which we view reality, which is all the experiences like we had even in the womb mm-hmm. that can shape how we show up in the world. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it. Like th- when you can look at how you show up and like, honestly getting other people's feedback of it, like what's you know my energy or my aura or my, like, how do, how do you, how do you experience me? Mm. And a lot of it, like with being like on the coach or creating online content, like the energy shows up there a lot. Mm. Like you get a lot of feedback. You're like, I don't like what I'm, I don't like what I'm getting. Mm. You know, I don't like what I'm receiving here. And then you have to be like, well, what are you putting out? Like, yeah. what's the, what's the give and take here? That's why I love being an entrepreneur as well. And like how creating a business, a lot of our own personal energy shows up in that business. So viscerally, like mm. it's such a, a mirror. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, it'll entrepreneurship is it will show you a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you're not going to succeed until you can remove all those blocks. Yeah. And it's like why is my why is my my company not making money? It's like well, what's your story around money? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I had to go through a lot of that. Was mm. like you know like then that's because like to be saved means like throw money at it, mm. you know, like go to rehab or whatever. And so like you know if I don't feel like I can save myself or I don't love myself enough then money's not going to come because if it does, it's, it's going to be like a river just flowing right through me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, make it, spend it, make it, spend it, make it, lose it, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that first, that first real true awakening that we all need to have is going from the victim mindset into like life is not happening to me, but life is happening for me. And that's like the lens, what you're talking about is mm. all of a sudden looking at what is this trying to show me? Like, why yeah. am I showing up this way? Rather than looking outside yourself, like, why is, why am I like this? Like, why is the world doing this to me? Why am I, why is it so unfair for me? Why, right. why am I so, you know, unlucky or whatever? And then being yeah. able to be like, well, what's it trying to show me? Yeah. I mean, like mine was, the hook was so deep in me that like, literally, like if I would like go to put my keys in the door of my apartment and they would fall on the floor, I'd be like, of course, because that's my <laughs> life. <laughs> like little things like, then you're like, 
one of the biggest tricks that I learned that someone told me to get over that was like every time something like that happens, laugh out loud. Literally. Like literally just ah, <laughs> force the laugh. Yeah, just like, fake it till you make it is what we always say on the football field. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, that advice, we can get into that too. But okay. I mean, it's the, I would just say like, like it was like everything like that, like spill mm. water. Well, of course. Yeah. You know, stub my toe. Yeah, so, so what was there? Was there an event that happened? Obviously, we've gone through so much, but was there was there a moment when, like, all of a sudden, you woke up and it was like, okay, I'm no longer the victim, or was it a slow process? Um, I would say once I started to recognize it, it was probably it happened pretty fast. Okay. There wasn't like one moment. I mean, there was a moment, I guess, when I kind of like I, you know, I I thought I was over it. Like I thought like I was, um, you know, that wasn't a story for me anymore. And then you find out that I, when I, you know, when I put my keys in the door and they drop it, I still go to that point. It's like, well, but all of a sudden you have an awareness of it, right? So then you can see the battle within yourself, and you yeah. can look at it and be like, oh wow, I'm going back to like I just said, oh, of course, yeah. And that initial awareness, where all of a sudden you don't attach to the thought, but you can see the thought and decide, oh, I can shift this, yeah. And it's like the moment of self awareness, right? Where we're all trying to get to, and that's the moment of really what it means to wake up to being a conscious human rather than being a victim of your circumstance, being able to, to, to choose how you feel in any certain instance. But it, it just comes back to self-awareness, right? It's so, so true, man. Because like, like you said, like with that healing, you can be like with the deep healing, like you can say like, Oh, I'm healed. Like I don't really have any problems. And then like, I, I got there. I was like, Oh, good. And then like little things happen and you're like, you start slipping back into the, mm. the shit. Cause those patterns are so deep, so right? Deep. I mean, you've lived them your whole life. Yeah. So talk about the journey from having that initial awakening into up to the point of getting into the deep healing work and like what did involved in that. So the initial awakening, I'll, I'll start when I, it was when I stopped drinking, um, like a couple of years before that I had gotten into some work, it's called gratitude training, mm. which is a lot like landmark, like those kind of things. Mm. I love yeah. that. Gratitude's my thing. Yeah, man. That's it's the key gratitude. to the kingdom. It's so true, man. Yeah. Uh, we can go deep yeah. on that one. Uh, I love it. Um, I have a gratitude list with a buddy of mine. We're on day 1,350 in a row. And what does that look like? You guys text each other each day with something every, you're grateful yeah, for? Every day, four things. And then we there's a fifth thing that we alternate. Sometimes it's like a win from the day before. And right now we're on a, a point of pride. So we get to brag about ourselves a little bit. That's like, really important too. Yeah, mm. like what's one point of pride about yourself? Like mm. It could be something like your eyes. It could be something like I handle... I handle my wife's tantrums really well. I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. But it's like some something about yourself that you feel good about that you wouldn't really share with the world because you're you know too humble or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we try to like I just I we push it a little bit on that fifth one. Yeah. But um, so I I had this this gratitude training was like it was my first real like wake up call. Like even when I went into it, they're like you're you're walking dead. Like you are a walking dead person. And I, and I felt that. I was like, yeah, like I'm just like. Like a zombie. Zombie, like mm. emotionless, like no energy, like just like I felt dead. Not like, awake to the, ex the gift awake, of life. Not awake mm. at all. Mm -hmm. Totally asleep. Mm -hmm. And then that was my first like real like wake up call where I was like, there's like, like, you know, if it's to be, it's up to me kind of thing. And like all this stuff about like tapping into the universe and the energy and like getting, getting connected and, and like, you know, taking ownership really. And so that was, I, I kept drinking after that, but that was like my first kind of like, that was when I talked about before that we started recording was like, you know, sp with spirituality, like I was there, it was there, but we were not there together. Mm -hmm. you know, we and you had an awareness of spirituality. You had some uh, kind of like yeah. 
belief that there's something greater. Yeah, we were in the same room. I was, I saw things happening that like, that's not, there's nothing really much that I know to explain that. So I'm like, there's something out there. And, uh, but this was like the first time, like, I feel like it, you know, I I was like, Hey, how you doing? Like, let's talk. And so that was my introduction to it. And, um, it looked like Hinduism for a little while. I I dove into that. There was some Buddhism in there. What was it about Hinduism that drew you to that specifically? Um, I loved the stories that they created around, like around their deities, Mm. like, you know, Ganesha, how he was like the, the remover of obstacles, but there's a, there's a backstory there about, you know, if you see Ganesha a lot, he has a broken tusk because at one point he, uh, his family was in danger and, he had to break off a piece of his tusk to defend his family. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. So there's like, I just, I, you know, it's like one of those things, like I just, for, and this has been like, if I can look back at my life, the times I've let go of expectation and just let things happen and just be, I was actually listening to your podcast this morning, you were talking about like, when we just be, we receive. Mm. And so I, I, I was for the first time, like, first of all, I was in quite a bit of pain from the alcoholism. So I was like, please just something come like, give me some direction. And again, like at the time, this was still me looking to be saved. Mm. You know, like with rehabs, for example, I'd always be like, Oh, rehab didn't work for me. Like, well, cause I didn't work for it. Mm. You know, it wasn't about rehab working for me. Like I was looking to be saved, like mm. all this stuff. And so I had to shift that perspective too. And you're the only one that can save yourself. Only huh? one. Yeah. Only Love one. It. Be the hero of your own story. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, this gratitude training experience was like the first time I, I was kind of like shaken awake. And then from there, it was like it was it was a it was a murk it was a struggle because like I was still drinking, but I, I was still kind of like tapping into this awakening thing, and it was like scary to me to like think about life without alcohol because like that was. That was when I felt okay. When you were like, drunk. And, when I was drunk, yeah. I felt like I belonged. Like as a kid with that, all that sickness, you know, I was a burden. I was, um, basically I was different than all my peers. Like my peers could do things without, you know, they could go to like, so in Vermont where I grew up, there's a lot of parties that are in barns where mm. there's a lot of hay. And so for me, that's like an asthma attack waiting to happen. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> And so like kids running around playing soccer, kids running around playing baseball, kids going to these parties, riding on horses. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, can't do any of it. Wow. So I had this major separation. Like I felt different than everybody else. And so that created with me social anxiety. Whereas like, I can't go anywhere because I'm like, not, this is not true, but like, I would feel literally like there's a spotlight on me at a bar, at a restaurant, at a concert, football game, whatever it was. Like everyone's looking at me, like, why are they looking at me? And it's not true, but like, yeah. that's the. But drinking took that kind of social anxiety away. Totally initially. Away. Yeah. yeah. I became life of the party. I could talk mm. to girls, tell jokes, dance around, sing, like karaoke. I mean, like it was, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Total, total. relief. Yeah. And so um, th- then like I figured out like, this, okay, this is like, so my, you know, like, so at 23, when my addiction really kicked into gear was when I stopped playing tennis. Because tennis was the most important thing in my life. Mm. Like I was on pace to be the next, I was going to be in the professional tour. I was going to do all that thing. And then after college, it ended. And like, that was my identity. And so now my, like. What happened? Why did it end if you had these aspirations to go pro and stuff? Um, Was there like a injury or something that happened? So I I blew my knee out my freshman year in college playing basketball. Okay. um, During the off season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My coach was thrilled about that. (laughs) But um that was that was the first time since I was like eight years old that I really didn't play tennis a lot. And I kind of figured I, I was able to hang out with my friends and get to know people. And I'm like, wow, there's like, this is kind of fun. There's more to life than just tennis. There's more to life than just tennis. But yeah. I still was like, tennis is my thing. 
like I'm still going to come back stronger. And, and I came back, I was number one on the tennis team. I, you know, tennis was my thing still, but then after, I think that was the seed that was planted of like the tennis is not the be all end all. Mm. And also after college, when I looked at going professional, I was like, I, you know, I, I was pretty into the tennis world. So I knew a lot of people that were professional tennis players and I saw their life and it was like, all oh, it was tennis, just all mm. of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like their relationships suffered basically like, and I was like, you know, I just felt disconnected from that commitment level. Mm. I just said, you know what, like, because t- there's no off season in tennis. Yeah. It's not like football or baseball where you get, you know, there's, there's like, it's 365. 24-7. Yeah, all yeah, the time. You have to be focused on it. And, and to you, be that good at something, to reach that kind of level in that hyper-competitive environment, you have to be so singularly focused on that yeah. thing mm-hmm. that it does become such a part of who you are. I mean, that's yeah. what I struggle with. And that's the community that I'm building with the Heart Collective mm-hmm. is trying to help guys transition from being like losing that identity. It's, it is a form of ego death and it's a vulnerable place to be because you have to look at that story of who you are, yeah. allow it to die and properly mm. grieve it. And then yeah. you have to build yourself up and retell the story of who you are. Totally, man. I think what you're, what you're doing is so amazing. Thanks, brother. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, it's so true though. So my identity died when I left, when I stopped playing tennis, like, and I didn't recognize this at the time about my identity, but I felt really lost. Like I was like, oh, I, I didn't really focus on school because I was there to play tennis. I didn't, I, all through school, I was like, it's not, I'm not into it. I'm into mm-hmm. playing tennis. That's yeah. it. So like now I had really, I felt like I had no, no ground to stand on. So I shifted my identity from tennis into rock star. Mm. Like literally I called, I was like, everyone knew me as the rock star. And like, I was like, yes, I love this. Mm. I want to have a good time. Like come hang out with me. Yeah. And I totally like dove into it and you know, it was fun for a while. It really was, but it, it turned into like, you know, friends asking questions, um, girlfriend's kind of like, what are you doing? Like, this is not fun. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that loss of identity, I shifted into that other identity and that identity now became like who, what I stood into. And, it, and then it became destructive of course. But, um, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> anyway, so we're, like, we're talking about where, where we started with the, um, or the journey from the alcohol into right, yeah. the, the deeper medicine work. Yeah. So um, 35, I got in that gratitude training. Then for the next three years, I, I spent, I would say the majority of the next three years, I spent sober, mm. but there was no like consistent sobriety. The longest I had was 11 months. So it's something you consistently struggled with because yeah. the bottle always kind of drew you back to it. Yep, always. I Is it something you still struggle with? Mm-mm. You kind of no. completely let it go. Completely. Okay. I'll tell you when. Okay. There's an exact moment. It was 4 a.m. November 21st, 2012. I was mm. in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, sitting in my house. My friends had just left. My drug dealer just left, and I was sitting there at my kitchen table. What was your drug of choice? Sorry. Uh, no, it's all good. Alcohol and cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. I mean, That's I would a do it. A drug. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Man. It's a good combination because it's it like is. you get the, 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 the release in the, and the, the social anxiety gone or you loosen yeah. up, but then the cocaine just makes you feel sober and ready to go. Yeah. And also like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't do that anymore. No. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I would do whatever you put in front of me, but those were the two that I really gravitated mm-hmm. towards. And so, um, 4 a.m. 2012, November 21st. I'm just sitting there. I have a pile of cocaine in front of me, a couple bottles of rum, and I'm just and I'm supposed to actually be moving out of my house um, in four hours. And my dad had given me like two grand to pay for the movers and to get the boxes and spend like the, that week packing up. Mm-hmm. And I blew that all on alcohol and drugs. Mm. So I had no money. 4 a.m. 
movers are coming in four hours and I'm sitting there like, I just, I, I, there's like an emptiness, like mm. an emptiness in a sense of like, uh, darkness, like. Were you high and drunk at this time? High, drunk, but also to the point where I'm like, this is not fun anymore. This is mm. not working. And I knew this for a long, so in that, that. It wasn't all of a sudden not fun, but just the awareness sudden, was like the, very. The awareness, like I was like, I was looking back at my path and it just looked like dumpster fires and wreckage and broke and like wrecked cars and broken bodies and relationships. Like I saw everything that had been created that I had done for the past 15 years. Mm, you just look back behind you and you just I see did. the wreckage. Yeah. And I can see it. It's like, just like just disaster, like fires and smoke mm. and like, you know, like a movie scene. Yeah. Like the and, Hulk just went into Hulk mode and came through and like 100%. came back into his body. I was like, yeah. what did I just do? <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. City just tar- torn down yeah. behind me. And so then I, and I, and I, I was like deeply empathetic or connected to like the pain I caused my dad. Mm. Um, I had seen his face at one point because over the past, the previous two months, I, uh, that's when I spent eight nights in jail, um, lost my career as a commercial real estate broker, lost my dog in the DUI that I got. Um, and I, I was sober for 11 months before that. And then two months of just complete disaster. And so I saw my dad's face one time and it, and it was, I mean, his eyes were sunk. He was gray. He just looked at me and just said, at one point he said, I hope I get to see you again. Mm. And when I left his, I was, cause he lived in Asheville. I was in Charlotte and I left his house and he's like, I hope I get to see you again. And I was like, oh yeah, no problem. You will. Whatever. Yeah. You know? And I was, I was, I was busy going back to Charlotte to go drink and do drugs more. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that moment I saw that face and I felt those words and I was like, I mean, he was worried about your life. To- he was worried about and my you life. Weren't, you didn't take it like that. Mm-mm. And then in that moment, you're like, oh, he, was, he thinks I'm going to kill yeah, myself. Yeah, he's worried that I'm going to die. Wow. And and like and to look at his face, and like I still, to this day, I have that vision of his face in my in my head of like that pain and despair and just like emptiness. And so, mm. you know, like, and he wasn't the only one. Like my sisters and my mom felt the same way. And it was like, and then I, I, I kind of just like had this racing thought of like, there's, okay, there's no way and no way in hell that I can do tomorrow. Can't scared. Can't do it. Don't have any money to do it. I'm so I called 911 and I said, you know, I'm having some really terrible thoughts. Um, I'm thinking about suicide. I need to be checked into the psych ward. I wasn't. Um, but I knew that if I just said I'm drunk and high and I'm freaking out, can you come get me? They'd we'll be just like, put you in the, they'd be the like, pen. Well, that, or they'd just be like, go to sleep, dude. Yeah. Call us tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'm like, I, I, I was like, I can't do tomorrow. Like, there's no way in hell that four hours is going to come and I'm going to be okay. Mm. So I checked myself into the psych ward. And from that moment on. What was that experience like? The psych ward? Yeah. Um, so it was relief at first. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a really uh, kind of twisted kind of, it's explainable, but the relationship with hospitals mm-hmm. is that for me as a kid, they were the only safe place in the world. Because mm. if I was to go outside in the spring in Vermont and see like a cloud of pollen pass by me, you know, that's an asthma attack. And, and you probably have an anxiety attack before that. 100%. You see it coming. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like I would be in the hospital four or five weeks a year, mm. um, sometimes two weeks at a time. You know, playing Little League Baseball, I remember one time in the middle of the game, I passed out in third base from an asthma attack and woke up in the hospital. Mm. So, like, the hospital to me meant safety. Mm-hmm. And so now, as an, as 38 years old, when this happened, I was like, well, I need, to, I need to go back to that safety. So at first, it's, like, relief. Like, I have, like, I have a little bit of, like, a respite here before I can figure out my next move. But in reality, it was like, you know, I'm in the psych ward. 
you know, like that's like they take your phone away. You know, people they can't really talk to anybody. It's it's not a pleasant experience. Yeah. How long were you in there for? Uh, seven days. Wow. Yeah. And then were you able to check yourself out? Like, what is? So I checked. I. I was there a point where you're like, okay, I just wanted to come for the night and I'm ready to go? Or were <laughs> yeah. you like really trying to, um, until you were in a good space to leave? Was it your decision? In the I mean? middle there. Like yeah. I, I originally was like, I, I can't do the tomorrow. But in the back, like I had that experience of like a lot of wreckage. Like I need this, I can't go on like this. Yeah. That was the bottom line. some space like, to really just. Yeah. And so basically, so I, I had my family had set up a rehab in Michigan um, so I, I went, I took a van from that psych ward to the airport in Charlotte and flew to Michigan for rehab. And then from Michigan, I went to Utah for another rehab and then I did sober living in Utah. Um, but I had at that moment, um, th- that seven days in the psych ward gave me enough space to really like say like, I can't go on like this. Yeah. Like doing some deep reflection. Just, yeah. And I didn't know what, like, again, I still had that fear of like going on dates sober, going to football games sober, like basically life without alcohol was still a fear of mine. But I knew from what I had seen at that moment, there was no way I could continue doing what I was doing. Mm. Absolutely no way. Like I couldn't do it to my family. I couldn't do it to myself. I couldn't ruin relationships anymore. I mean, friends had stopped inviting me to weddings, like friends alienating me. I, I mean, it was, I had legit nothing, mm. like no money, no house, no car, no career, nothing. Mm. And so I just knew like, I need to, I just need to really do something about this. And so from that moment on, like I, I have not had any desire to have a drink or drug since that moment. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess if psychedelics, but like the, like that, that, that. When you're that doing space, it in like a, a, a facilitated intentional yeah. way to, let's talk about psychedelics. Cause okay. when, when did that journey first come up, did you have resistance as like, far as it being a drug and being like, wait, I'm sober. I don't want to do this. What was that story like? And then talk about the kind of genesis of working into the, and and the power that the psychedelics have had on this Mm. kind of deeper work. Yeah. Um, so that the psychedelics came, the first kind of knock on the door was about probably 2016. So about four years ago, five Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just kind of got introduced to ayahuasca, the idea of ayahuasca and like this deep healing that happens with it. And then I was like, that's really, really cool. But then immediately I was like, you know, I was at the time I was three years sober. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, like that's, that's, I still had in my head, like that's a drug. I'm sober. No way. Yeah. I was kind of upset. I was like, I'll never get the opportunity to experience that. Because you were so like, like sober is, I have to stick to this because if I don't, I'm going to uh, go back uh, into these patterns and wreck I'll be my life at that again. table at my kitchen table at 4am yeah. again one time, just, got, just out of jail. Like mm. I'll be, I'll, it, it'll lead me right back there. No questions yeah. asked. Okay. And I, I still have, I, I still, so I started battling with that conversation mm-hmm. and, it was, and battling is the wrong word, but I just started having that conversation about like, well, like that's like, I have this sober conversation going on, but I have this like, I, I'm being like, this is really, really interesting to me. Like there's something calling here. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know that I, I didn't even know the word calling at that point, but, uh, but looking back, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, ring, ring. That <laughs> <laughs> was right on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was like, go to voicemail, go to voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. And so I just started like listening, I guess, like, and it just kept popping up, you know, it was ayahuasca and then, uh, psilocybin, and then th- that was the one, psilocybin was the one that like was really persistent because ayahuasca seemed like a, a big thing to me. Mm-hmm. Psilocybin was a little more like accessible. accessible yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I kind of just like kept them all on the radar and then um, I kept having the conversations and kept kind of like 
honoring my sobriety and honoring what I had done and like just making sure I was real intentional about moving on from like the world of AA into the world of like this, this massive growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I still like, for me, the, the, the conversation about I am an addict, I am an alcoholic. I, I don't resonate with that conversation anymore. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel right for me to say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that, like, to, to completely dismiss that is, is first of all, not honoring a part of myself. But second of all, I feel, it feels a little bit reckless to say like that, I might have the potential if I let if I if I don't be very very intentional about the way I do this, the the work I do with the psychedelics. If I'm not very intentional about it, like that tendency might still exist for me. Mm-hmm. And so I that and I think that's served me very well because it's allowed me not to like you know because that the ceremonial stuff can spill over into recreational pretty easily. So easily, you know? so quickly, and I see like, it all too often. Yeah, same. Like, yeah. I mean, you, 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 people are like doing ceremony almost every weekend. And it's, yeah. For me, like, let's do ceremony, have a couple yeah. grams of mushrooms and hang out. And yeah, it's yeah. like, okay. Uh, and there's a space for that if you're not struggling with the sobriety thing, right? And the stories. Well, the- there's that. And also, I've, I've found too that there's a, I saw this great meme the other day, and it was, uh, get in loser. We're healing and learning how to love life again. Mm. And like, that speaks a lot to like the joy of that. Like you, if, if I've, and I've gotten to a place where like once in a while, like I will just get together with some friends and eat some mushrooms and have a great time. Mm-hmm. And there is massive healing in that too. Absolutely. But there's also, I'm also not doing mushrooms five days later, having not slept mm. <laughs> because that's where that, and, but in my, and I, through the plant medicine, I've had that conversation with Wachuma was a big one for me with that was that like, I went right into that conversation with Wachuma and I was like, oh God, like it was a miserable experience. Mm. But from that moment on, I've had so much clarity about like, joy is a part of healing mm. and, if, and connection is a part of healing. And like, as, and, but again, being very intentional about like, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to happen. This is, I'm, gonna, I'm open to it. Mm. But at the same time, like just knowing that having, just having that data point in the back of my head that like Sam, there might be a possibility here if you don't be very intentional about this, that it could get haywire. Mm. And so I've been, and that, that was the, that was the big kind of tipping point for me with going into psychedelics was like having that awareness, but being open to what this, this holds for me, Mm. because this was really about, again, like finding out what I don't know. Like I was, I did so much therapy and so much talk therapy and AA for, you know, eight or six years of everyday meetings. And it's like, gosh, like I'm getting tired of like talking about the same stuff and it's not really getting me anywhere. Mm. And so I just branched out. I left AA and I, and I took about six months and was just like, I need to see, like, I need to do this. Like, I just need to be sober. I just need to be like my own person, walk in my own path, stand in my strength, stand in my purpose, my power, all that stuff. Because A, it wasn't resonating with me anymore. Mm. It was almost, I'm not going to say it was taking me backwards, but it was a definite plateau. Yeah, you plateaued, yeah. kind of like a crutch. Like, and yeah. so my first thing was, was like, all right, if I'm going to step away from AA, I need to, I need to up my spirituality big time. Mm. Like I need to do, I need to really dive into meditation. I really need to dive into like shamanism or I need to dive into like these things that are going to keep this basically green for me and keep me growing. Isn't AA a big part of that 12-step program is the belief in a greater power, yeah. God, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. 
And, but it, it kind of plateaus at that and you wanted to take it deeper. Was AA a, a, a catalyst for that or was it? AA was massive for me. Like mm. without AA, there's no way I would be where I am today. Okay. Um, it was, it was the stepping stone. It was just the perfect stepping stone that I needed. The, okay. the, the landing spot after all that wreckage that I needed. And then um, di- diving deeper into what God and spirituality meant for you. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I mean, like there's that conversation in AA is it's it's a basis of a spiritual spiritual awakening they they call it there and like uh, it's a god as you understand him mm-hmm. and so like that's a big part of it the the plateau for me was the in, in general it was just you know the a lot of the same stuff mm-hmm. over and over and that included the god conversation and it included the spirituality conversation of like I just, I just wanted more. Like I just mm-hmm. knew that there was more that I didn't know about and I needed to look into. And like, for me, the evolution of the, the, the God conversation was that um, I felt this immense need to define it mm. when I first got into AA. Like God, as you understand him, okay, okay, what do I understand? Like I have to almost like have this like written down bullet pointed definition of what that means to me. And like I struggled with it for like a few years, not, not the existence of it, but like how I, what is it? Like, what, how do I, like, what yeah. does it mean? Like, what am I tapping into here? So, so share a little bit about the evolution of your experience with God. Cause I think even labeling it as God mm. is, is putting it in a box, right? Putting totally. a word to it. Cause it is so yeah. ineffable, but talk about that evolution into how you found God, obviously that the AA helped you set mm-hmm. that foundation, but then wanting to dive deeper and understand it through an experiential personal relationship with whatever that thing is. Yeah. So it was, um, again, it was, it goes back to that connection. So, you know, the God thing, like when I, when you say God, like I picture, you know, the Bible and the guy in the sky mm-hmm. and all that. And that, that for me was a little bit of a struggle to like get around that. And that was what I kept struggling with as far as defining it. Cause like, that's people had that in AA, like that's their definition of it. Mm. I'm like, well, I need something like that, but I don't believe in that. Mm. So like, what am I going to do about this? And so the, the, the evolution of that was that like, there's acronyms for God, good orderly direction is one of them. Um, and they actually, the um, Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, he gave the 12 steps to some Buddhist monks. And he's like, what do you guys think about these? And he's like, they're amazing. He's like, we would challenge you to change God. Every time you say the word God, change it to good. And it works. Like you can say this twelve steps with that good, and it's still the same, the same idea behind the steps, same mm. principle. And so the things like that were helping me, like just soften the, soften it a little bit. And then I, I, I moved out of having to define it. Was the big thing for me. Mm. Like I don't, you don't need to define it. You just need to acknowledge it. Mm. Like just, it's there. How like, did you get to that that point? Um, I think it was just like. I had to give myself some relief because it was like, it was to the point where I spent so much time obsessing about like fighting almost like I can't, it's not that, but it's not this. It's like, what is this? And like, you know, eventually that conversation, like it's good to like figure out what it is for you. For Mm. me, it's just energy. Mm. It's like, there's something out there. Like one of the things someone said to me one time is if you think you're the highest power, go try and stop a wave Mm. or go, go pull a tree out of the ground. Mm. (laughs) Like you can't. (laughs) So like there's something more at work, right? Mm -hmm. And it's energy. It's like connection, whatever it is. There's this deep desire to know God, I think is in every single one of us. Right. mm -hmm. And I've been on that journey too, like such deep seeker of truth and understand like, what is this thing? What is this thing? And I think everybody needs to go on that path to try and find out who God is for themselves. And, you know, I just got back from ayahuasca retreat a couple Mm. weeks ago, actually. And I had this, really deep experience where I was like kind of molded into everything and I was dancing in infinite potential in everything. And I asked myself, and it was really frightening. It was like overwhelming. And I kept coming back into my body and being like, okay, this will pass. 
And I ended up going like in this infinite loop and I kept going back into infinite potential. And I could tell myself any story that I want because I was everything. Oh. And then I started losing the sense of myself and it was very overwhelming. And I ended up coming back to my body and be like, this will pass. And I was like, well, what will pass? <laughs> Wait, and I didn't even have a sense of self. And I remember asking myself questions like, why am I here? Like, what am mm. I doing? And I, I understood the story of I always wanted to know, like, like what is it? I wanted to define it. I want to mm. figure out what it is for me. And I think everybody needs to go on that path to find out what it is, to come right back to where you are, to realize there you can't define it. There yeah. is no answer. If there was an answer, if there was an end to it, then there would be no existence. Mm. And part of the journey is to surrender into the idea that, we are a part of this thing that is greater than ourselves and there is no defining. It is ineffable, but you have to go figure, like you have to go on the path to seek in order to realize there is no answer, <laughs> which is a really paradoxical thing, but that's the, yeah. the paradoxical nature of the universe, right? Yeah. And there's freedom in that. Mm. Once you realize that, like for me, when I stopped having to define it, there was freedom. Like, okay, mm. like it's just there. Mm. It's just, it's just like, it is what it is. And it's like, you know, like you talk about, like you become, like you realize it's all one. Mm. Like, and that's, Bufo was a similar experience like that for me. Like very, like scary, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, and then it was like, uh, mm. but it, it, to find, to just like, and connect with it in that sense of like, it's almost, it frees you up because if you define it, if you define it, there's, there's separateness there. Mm. You know, like if, like there's separateness between like Jesus Christ and a person, like, the idea though, the idea supports that we're all like, even looking around like your office here, like you have metal and paper and wood it all, it's all the same. Mm. It all started at the same place and yeah. it all comes back to the same place. Yeah. And, and that's then, why I love like the, the quantum physics is starting totally. to say like at the lowest atomic subatomic level, like we're all just vibration yeah. and energy. I know. I love that. <laughs> so like I started reading into that like in the past six months too. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like it, it makes everything seem Honestly, pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We try and complicate it with our stories. Yeah, and we, we totally, and that's again like separates us from it. Yeah, that's why I think the biggest the biggest problem with with all of our issues that we have is is the idea of separation. Mm. And you know, most religions when they start putting God in a box, it creates okay, my God is right, and that if my God is right, then everything that doesn't align with what my God is has to be inherently wrong. Yeah, and that's what creates division and war mm. and conflict and fear fear and yeah. being able to understand like widening the lens a little bit and understanding like, Oh, we're all, we're, they're all fingers pointing at the moon, but we can't <laughs> explain the moon or what it is. Right. Yeah. And it's just a metaphor and they're all missed trying to make sense of what this experience is. I mean, even all these books, right? Like that's one thing I understood when I was, when I was in Bufo and I like left my body completely and I started laughing cause I was like, Oh, like it's all just a, like a joke. Like the stories we create, the stories we hold on to. And when I was coming back in, I realized, this whole life that we're experiencing is a ceremony mm. and everybody that's ever written a book is just trying to make sense of what their experience on this life is. And it's, a, it's just a constant evolution of people trying to uncover. And that's the beautiful thing about this existence of being human is we are the universe exploring itself. And mm. so there is no, there can be no end. There can be no answer because then the whole thing would kind of fold in on itself. It, it, oh, there's yeah. this constant exploration of what it means to be alive mm -hmm. and we're never going to figure it out. We're just going to constantly expand and evolve. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny to think too, like Rumi and Osho, those guys existed long ago. We're talking about the, the same stuff. Talk about the same stuff and they were right. Yeah. <laughs> it's still relevant. All of it. Like we're all just walking each other home and mm. like what you seek is seeking you. And like mm. all these things are like, 
they speak to this. Like yeah. it's, it's all one. It's all the love. The thing you are seeking is from the place you are seeking from. Yes. And it's like, but you have to go out seeking to to realize that, right? Totally, and that's yeah. the journey that we're all on. And that's why everybody, like if if there's ever, ever like a, a guru or a spiritual teacher that thinks they know, mm. then turn and run the other way. Because the, the wisest people I know in my life and the wisest teachers and, you know, spiritual gurus that I've, I've learned from all say like they just sit in the, the awe and they all talk in these like paradoxical metaphors because they know there is no explaining <laughs> it. So they try and explain it in words. And even when you try to do that, the only way to do it is to talk in metaphor and story yeah. and paradoxical like sayings because that's what it is. And that's how people can relate to it and, yeah. and like absorb it and receive it. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it, man. Talk a little bit more about the, the healing that you went on. Um, with the psychedelics, like what was that process like? Um, so I dipped it like basically beginning of last year, about this time last year, I started microdosing psilocybin mushrooms mm-hmm. and, um, that experience was the first time I did it was like, it was like, wow, like the day got easier. It was like high, it was like high definition. And then the, like the, that was the the actual being in it experience. So I ended up doing a protocol of that. I did three months. So I did Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And I wanted to do two days during the week and just do my life. And then I wanted a Saturday where I kind of do whatever I want to do and just experience that. And to have the, that they talk about the fight or flight being turned off during that. And like to have that was so clarifying and so, so just like settling for my nervous system to experience that. And so from there, that was my kind of dipping my toe back in the water because I had, I mean, I had done recreational mushrooms, a lot of them in the past. And like, I had this fear of like, oh God, I'm going to get weird again, Mm. you know, and I'm going to fall back into that. So I, dipping my toe in with the the microdosing was amazing. And then even people would see me and be like, my God, your eyes are different. Like you're lighter and like, like, well, I'm a little more relaxed. That's Mm. for sure. Mm. And then uh, Bill Murray has a great quote about being relaxed. He says, uh, the more you are, the more relaxed you are, the better you are at everything. Mm. So true. Yeah. And so then from there, I ended up getting into some actual psilocybin ceremonies. And again, like those are so amazing because they just, they, they allow you to like, just, it's not an out of body experience, but it's an experience of like, it's just a, it's hard to explain, but it's almost like you're seeing things in a different perspective of, of like, wow, like I thought that, but it's really this. Mm. And like, and you can then, access deeper parts of the psyche and understand the stories yeah. in a little di- different lens. Right. Yeah. And it's, and again, they put you in a place too, where you, you can turn off the stories almost and just receive what's coming in. Mm. Cause like, so with Bufo, for example, Bufo, my gosh, what an amazing thing. Mm. Um, the, the first time when I saw you after, after the was ceremony, that, the first time that, you did it? that was the first time I, yeah. I, did, I had done meditation notes before. That was the first you know blast off I did. And like it for my first inclination there, my first like way to ex- describe that was like, holy shit. And duh at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, dude. Uh, I love it. Cause like I, the same with me, like I have such a deep, like, like I've been a seeker for truth and like I've read all these books and I have a mm-hmm. deep conceptual and intellectual understanding of like oneness and what it means and like all reading all these different philosophers and even quantum physics and all this stuff. And I remember yeah. when I first like was leaving my body, I was just laughing hysterically at the, st- I was like, just the stories we hold on to, yeah. like this, it's all a story it's and so- it's like laughing at the cosmic joke of it all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. Oh, like you just like, oh. Like, oh, this is intense, but oh, I get it too. Of course. 
And that was my, that was my experience. So like after like the integration and then having done it a few more times, like I kind of want to say my whole life was alive before that, mm. but that feels very aggressive yeah. and kind of negative and like mm. not very loving. So I, I, I go to like, there was a lot of misunderstandings yes. prior to that. And like to, to feel that experience, like I remember with just being in that house and laying on that floor and just looking around kind of coming out of it and just looking around and being like, Oh, like this is just healing, mm. like just so healing. Like it's, it's at, so funny too. Like looking at the facilitators that that they know. Like it's almost yeah. like like you're coming back. You're like, oh, I, like I, I see you now. Like I get. Like you guys yeah. understood what it was like every <laughs> yeah. time you bring someone through this experience, and then they come yeah. back out of it. It's like welcome home. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so cool. It must be so great for them to see like the person come in. Yeah. Like either it's however they look, however their energy is, and then when they leave. Yeah. It's like oh. it must be such a beautiful, like such a beautiful gift to offer mm. that. And I know talking to Doctor John about it too, and he's like. Because he's a he's like a clinical psychiatrist that had his yeah. own awakening, and I think I'm going to have him on his podcast at some point to really amazing. talk about his journey because his journey is incredible. Yeah, but he's like, yeah, I was in a, in his residency or something. He was he was actually helping a lot of women give birth, and he's like, this is like the next best thing. Is like basically these these spirits coming back in these mm-hmm. these beings being reborn yeah, into this reality with like yeah, and it's like so beautiful for him mm-hmm. to like have to f- be able to facilitate that is, is amazing. Yeah. And he's amazing. Like oh, to, he's amazing. I, I looked over and saw him and he was just sitting there smiling. I was like, oh, <laughs> His energy man. is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And, and Celeste too. I mean, those two do an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, having that experience, like I, I would, I, you know, I, I compared it to this, like <clears throat> when I was 35, I stopped eating gluten and dairy. I mean, I was a high level athlete. And like in shape and like thought I was what a hundred percent was. Mm. I stopped eating gluten and dairy and like a whole new world opened up for me. And so, because I thought whatever that was, was normal. Like I thought that was my, my normal. And so after like dealing with anxiety and depression and addiction, like I had some running chatter in my head, mm. which I was like, got to the point where I was like, okay, this is it's tolerable and I can do this. Ever since then, it's been almost non-existent. Wow. And it's just been like the freedom of it. Yeah, I've been thinking about that since you since you started about healing, like all of the the asthma and the peanut mm-hmm. allergy and all the things you dealt with. Are all those things healed now at this point? Or? Um, so when I stopped eating gluten and dairy, the asthma went away. Okay. Um, I still have an allergy to peanuts okay. and legumes. Um, I, got te- I haven't been tested in about 10 years, but I got tested about 10 years ago. And they said like basically like that... Um, so they do a prick test and then they do an injection. That's like the, the protocol. Mm-hmm. And they stopped me at the prick test because they were like, it's, you still have the allergy. Yeah, okay. And so at this point I'm like, do I want to get, I'm, I'm, I'm 46. I've made it this far without peanuts. I think I'm good. Yeah. You know, like I would get it for peace of mind maybe, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, that's healed or not. But Just my, stay away from peanuts. Yeah. But my, my feelings about how I'm a burden and like all that stuff is definitely healed. Mm. Um, the, the big download for me was in Bufo was surrender. Mm. just like stop fighting. Mm. Like it was so much fight before, like so much thought fighting thoughts. And I think that's where the chatter quieted down from because the chatter really comes from having a thought. No, I can't think that or having a thought and that's wrong. Like when you just like let the flow come in of the thoughts, mm. that's like, that's where the chatters ends. Like, yeah, you don't have to attach to the thought or fight the thought. You just allow yeah. the thought to just pass right through. It's all okay. Yeah. It's all just thoughts. And, and it's like, all you. It's, all, it's show, all God. It's, it's all God. And it's, <laughs> it's there to show me something. Yeah. <laughs> like there's something for it. I love that. And man, you've been on such a fucking journey. It's Thanks, really brother. beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing. Uh, like looking back on your journey and then, you know, we were just talking about the Bufo experience. Like, what do you think the whole purpose and point of like living is? We're all just walking each other home. 
we're all just walking each other here just to learn I, I the think, lessons. I think I think that we're here to for one love. Like we're just like let's just let it be love. Hmm. Like we we I think we lack a lot of compassion. Hmm. I think that you know like even like with the phrase toxic masculinity. Hmm. I get that the toxic the the behaviors of that masculine are toxic. But really, that's a wounded masculine. Yeah, you know, I, I like think, the idea of it. It's Im- immature masculine. It's, yeah, it's that, not yeah. someone that's been. And with our culture and society, there's no initiation. There's mm-hmm. no rituals. There's no evolution from boyhood into manhood. Yeah. So it's not necessarily toxic masculine. It's immature masculine. Yeah. It's a bunch of boys walking around in grown grown men's bodies. And society expecting them to be grown men. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that our purpose here is to love each other, to show each other, to hold each other. And to see each other, mm. and then and you can't do that until you fully love yourself. One hundred percent. See yourself, like you know, the one of the bi- major things for me was the mirror, mm. uh, the, the mirror exercise where you stand in front of the mirror for three minutes and just say, "I love myself. I mm. love myself," and don't break eye contact. Mm. Like that's hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so it's very healing because it really that's where it all starts. Yeah, yeah. I love that man. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, you talked about the idea of surrender, and I think. Um, you know, obviously a Bufo experience, we have a complete ego death and mm-hmm. realize there is something after we die. But, you know, I think the idea of surrender is a big lesson for everyone. I know it's been a big lesson for me. And, you know, until, and, you know, facing death, it's like the ultimate act of surrender, right? Like yeah. it's the ultimate fear, the ultimate unknown. Like what right. happens when we die? And I think when you look at that and face that and you're able to surrender into that through an experience like Bufo, but bringing that into surrendering into life, into each moment is really until you do that, you can't fully live. Mm. And so I'd love to get your perspective on, on death. And, you know, I think it's a big taboo in our culture. And I think a lot of even religions, even like with this global pandemic, like it's, you know, so much fear around dying. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're trying to protect people from dying. And even, you know, looking into like our Western medical system and like people that are very old and they get sick and they're attached to all these tubes and devices to try and extend their life by two weeks because Mm. there's like this huge fear of like letting them go and dying. And I think until we can fully look at and talk about death, we can't really fully live because being able to surrender into that experience is kind of the, it's a beautiful thing that we all share. So what do you think happens when we die? I think we leave this plane Mm. Um, I think that there it's, it's, you know, we are like a, we're a car we're a vessel. Mm. Our souls are in this vessel for this, you know, whatever it is, 80, 85 years that we're here. And then I think from there, like we, we transcend and we go into like what it may be coming back as a squirrel Mm. and maybe coming back as the next Dalai Lama. Like you don't know, but I think that like we are simply living in this moment, this, this time on this planet as the, Physical manifestation of who we are, Joe mm-hmm. Holly, Sam Morris. Mm-hmm. But I think that when we when we die, it's you know our soul leaves our body and our and it goes into I, I mean the ether mm-hmm. or just the universe, whatever it is, is absorbed in, and then it's reincarnated. It gets reincarnated as something else. You know, there's another round. There's an, the, the next round, the next evolution of that soul comes in, and then that's when we have to start dealing with like you know karmic debt and generational curses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I think that when we die, you know, all it is is that we lose the, like that's, I think that's why people fight to hang on. Like it's not the dying person that's fighting to hang on. It's their family or their mm. you know friends or whatever, because they don't want to lose that experience of that person. Yeah. And a lot of times I've, I've heard a lot of stories and I've talked to um, a couple, you know, ICU nurses, actually one of them was on this podcast and she's been around that a lot. And she's like, it's fascinating to see when someone's 
kind of on their deathbed and their family's all in there and they're just like, they don't want to let them go. Mm. And usually that person waits more times than not until all the family leaves the room and then they end up letting go and dying because yeah. they don't want to leave their family in that, you know, arena. And it's like, let me, let me go. Like, yeah. it's okay. Like I'm ready to leave. But mm -hmm. it's a lot of times it's the people that are still alive that don't want them to leave because of yeah. what it means to them. Yeah. I remember my dad passed away in 2015 and um, I was in San Francisco. He was in Asheville, North Carolina. And I remember um, <clears throat> I was a little, I mean, I was shocked and everything, but I remember this, the absolute second that I took one step into his house, it immediately became like, he basically said to me, I chose this. Like I was mm. ready to go. And I immediately became at peace with like, he was ready. Like it was his choice and he got to go privately and quietly. And you know why? Because he knew that me and my two sisters were okay. Mm. And he was just ready to move on. Like mm. his body was ready to move on and then his soul will do whatever it's going to do. But do you believe there's this, like when we die, there's like the awareness, the aspect of us, because, you know, the, the whole thing of dying is, and this is like when you go through an experience like Bufa, like the, the ego is just a story construct of who I think I am as Joe, who you think you are as Sam. And mm -hmm. that, I think, is the thing that a lot of people are scared to let go of because they're like, what am I without the story of who I am? Mm -hmm. But when you can understand and, you know, have an experience of that story completely dying and knowing that you're still something, there's an yeah. energy and an essence that goes on. But my question is, do you believe there's, and this is a big like unknown for me, is like the idea of, okay, we just go back to source and we're one. Or is there like an essence of separation that goes into the ethers that gets to decide like, okay, I want to go experience something else. Maybe I want to go experience life as a squirrel mm. or maybe go to a different planet and experience life as a different being. Like, What is it like in the ethers, do you think? Is it like, okay, I'm still like a soul that wants to go learn lessons. Is there like a soul that is continuing to evolve, you know, this idea of like a wise soul, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for me, I feel like I have this innate wisdom within me that I'm so grateful for. And it's like the idea of, oh, maybe I've lived a lot of lifetimes and I've learned a lot of lessons and that's what I brought into this life. And there's something that goes on throughout those lifetimes that got me to where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. Or is every single lifetime a unique experience? I've never thought about this, but um, it's an amazing question. And what's coming up for me is I think that once we go into the ether, you know, the return to the source, like I think that then we, what we've done in this lifetime, this current version of it um, directs us to what's next. So the, mm. the ether decides like this person from what they've done in this lifetime, their direction is now going to maybe be into the animal kingdom or mm. to, to, to another human or, Maybe it's you know, some a tree. I don't know, but um, I think that what like we're all it's all moving in an evolutionary way. It's, I don't think there's any like solid definition to each one. Mm. I think they all kind of like play off each other. They roll into each other. What do you think it's like to be a tree? Easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Because like it's so funny because a lot of people just like a tree, you know, but. In some of my ayahuasca ceremonies, like that's, I mean, ayahuasca is, you know, I, I believe like a, a plant consciousness, right? Mm. And it, it connects you to the kind of plant realm. Mm -hmm. And I look at trees in such a different way since doing psychedelics. And like, there was one moment, I had a really intense experience. I won't go into it too deep, but I actually like, you know, was tripping through the night and I actually had a reactivation of this ayahuasca. And it was during the day like between seven and nine thirty in the morning. And I remember being outside and like the trees <laughs> and I, they're, they're so intelligent. 
you know, and I was looking at these aspens and aspens are really beautiful because mm. it's like one root system. It's basically one organism at this like whole aspen grove. And I was looking yeah. at like, oh my gosh, they're so intelligent and the trees are all connected. And it, the consciousness of a tree, like we think, oh, it's like, oh, that's probably a lower life form. But in reality, like they're, they are conscious in probably a way more profound way than it even is to be human. Yeah, they're not they're not attached to clocks yeah. <laughs> or calendars. Like what is time, right? Yeah, time's such an illusion as well. I know. Mother Nature, what do they say? Mother Nature, everything gets done, but no, there's no clocks. Mm. I mean, I think that that's a really good point you make. I think the trees, like that's, I think that's the connection that we've lost. Mm. Like we're all living, breathing organisms. Yeah, you know, I think that. Um, yeah, I, I think they're beautiful. Like you said, like on psychedelics, the the, the connection with nature and the plants is a next level thing. Mm. I want to just, as we close up here, yeah. get your, maybe some, some, some practical tools for people. Cause you've been on such an incredible journey, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to share and Thank being open me. and vulnerable. And I'm so proud of you and how far you've come. Cause it's a lot of deep, deep work. And I know this podcast is going to have an impact on a lot of people. Um, but this idea of self-love really, that's, mm. that's the, the pinnacle. That's, that's what we're all kind of getting back to. And I think that's really what's going to heal the world is, you know, the only way we can heal the world is by healing ourselves. And mm-hmm. in order to do that, we have to learn to fully love ourselves. Yeah. So what are some some tools or like, you know, advice for people, you know, maybe that they think they love themselves. Like you said, oh, yeah, I can love myself. Like I'm mm-hmm. cool. But then there's those deep stories of, you know, shame or, you know, you know, body image issues. I know I deal with it still yep. at times, you know, it's just such a such a, a thing that comes up. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are some some tools or advice you'd give to people on that journey of, of fully loving yourself? I think the first one is give yourself a break. Mm. Like, be nice to yourself. You know, we're all just, like you said, like body body image issues. I mean, we are both, I have the same problem. Like, we are both athletes. Mm. You know, I think that we, so we probably have an idea. Like, and just to say, to say you have a body image issue, not just you and I, but like anybody, doesn't mean you don't love yourself. It just means that you have to have a little compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like have compassion for yourself is one thing. I think another thing is look at the ways you don't love yourself. Um, you know, hope and worry. Like everyone loves to talk about hope and how it's like romantic and sexy and worry is like vilified as this negative thing, but really they're the same thing. Is that they are designed to trick you or to, to kick you into action. But when you start hoping all the time, you're just hoping. When you start worrying all the time, you're just worrying. You're not doing anything. So do you love yourself enough to take action? Do you love yourself enough to believe in yourself? And I think too, like a lot of times courage and discipline. Like, do you love yourself enough to have the courage to ask that girl out, to apply for that job, Mm. to stop eating pizza every day? And and then that rolls into the discipline of it. Like discipline to me is just another form of self-love. Everyone says, oh, I, you know, you must be so disciplined. Like, honestly, it's just, I love myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I love myself enough to know that like eating three cupcakes on a Wednesday night, is not going to do me very well. Mm. Or like, you know, f- for example, me, like I love myself enough to have the discipline to not drink. Mm. And that's an easy one. But like when you can shift into like, how do you love yourself physically? Like in a physical manner, like the things you do to show yourself love, self-care, meditation, like have the, show yourself the love. Um, and then look at, and then Kamal Ravikant wrote a book. I love yourself like life, your life, like your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. He has a question in there and it says, what would you do if you really loved yourself in every situation when you're doubting? Like what, what would, what would Joe do if you really loved himself here? What would Sam do if I really loved myself? And that, that filter, 
you'll know, you'll know really quickly mm. <laughs> what the answer is. There's no hiding from that. Mm-mm. No, not at all. And I think too, um, like a tangible tool, like the mirror exercise I mentioned, mm. like give, he talks about that in the book too, like stand in front of the mirror. I mean, I used to do it naked for every morning for three minutes, stand in front of the mirror and just look at yourself. Look at, look at the roles in your, around your gut that you don't like and just say, I love myself. Mm. And then too, like when you start talking about like the parts, like for a while, like the, the in the Wachuma, like, I was shown that I didn't love the addict part of myself because mm. uh, it always was coming up as this negative, like failure as a human being thing. And Watchroom was like, okay, look. And I felt it. I felt like an addict again. And it, and it was like, no, like you need to just love yourself. Love, like love lo- this part lo- of you. Love that part of me. Wow. And that was, that's a big thing is like find those parts that you don't love and love them harder. That's beautiful. And and that brings up this, this, this idea that the shadow work, right. Mm-hmm. Which is a big topic right now. And a lot of people are like, Oh, you gotta, gotta work on your shadow. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, you know, initially think of that, like, Oh, the shadow is these, these bad parts. Right. I mean, that's yeah. why they're in the shadow, uh-huh. but in order to really integrate fully is like, those are aspects of who you are and to, to take them out of the shadows to shine light on them mm-hmm. and love them. Yeah. Like love them just as much as you love the good parts. Cause yep. it all is an aspect of who you are. 100%. And then the more you try and run away from those, from those, like, like that part of you, like I'm, I'm not an addict anymore. Like I'm transcending that. It's still going to be there and have a little bit of power over you until you can fully bring that aspect of who you are into it and, and, and love it fully. Yep. Accept it. Love it. And just honor it. Oh, it's beautiful, man. Yeah. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming over, man. I, I really wasn't expecting such a <laughs> such an amazing conversation, and, and your story is incredible. Um, where can people find you, and, and what are you working on now? I know you're a coach, and you you offer yeah. a lot of these tips and, mm-hmm. and some one on one stuff, but but share a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, man, thanks for having me. Um, yeah. This this conversation was. I was just thinking as you were wrapping up, I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much, man. I love yeah, you. man. Um. So what I'm working on now, I have a, I just launched a, so when I was in Mexico, like, you know, my purpose really became clear to me and it was that I'm here to hold space for men to heal. Mm. And so I created the Conscious Warrior Brotherhood, which is a, it's a community, it's a group coaching program um, that I just, I've created that space for men to come and talk about all the things that they never talk about. They're scared to talk about. They feel like there's no place in society for them to talk about. Come here talk about them, heal them, move on and live that life of ultimate emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, uh, mental freedom. Mm. Uh, that I offer on, uh, in the same realm there, I offer one-on-one coaching, which is a 90 day thing. Uh, high touch point. We talk every week, really 90 days of like really getting to the bottom of your trauma, bottom of like whatever those hooks are. Like, just like I had to do for myself, like go past the symptoms, get to the roots. Mm. And then also um, I'm part of a business consulting firm that I, I work on culture, corporate culture with people. Nice. Is there anywhere people can find yeah, your website, uh, socials? Yeah. So my website is samgibbsmorris.com and then Instagram is where I do most of my hanging out and that's at uh, samgibbsmorris. Nice. Yeah. All right, brother. I Thank really you. appreciate you, man. Yeah. I love you deeply. Love you deeply too, brother. And thanks for showing up and doing the work, man, and inspiring others and home space and serving your medicine. Thank you so much for having me, man. All right, brother. All right. Wow. That was a powerful one. And I'm really grateful for Sam for being so open and vulnerable and sharing his story. Uh, hope you guys got a lot out of it. I know I did. Um, you know, if it resonates and you think somebody else that you know might resonate with it and learn from it, uh, there's a lot of really amazing, you know, not only experience shares, but also practical tools to really help you on your own journey. Um, 
So if it resonates, please leave a review, rate the podcast, share it with your friends. And I'd love to hear from you. Any feedback you might have, reach out to me, um, follow my newsletter. All that's in the show notes. Reach out to me on Instagram, joe.holly or check out my website, joe-holly.com. That's where you can keep up with all my content and my blog. And yeah, I love y'all. And I appreciate y'all so much for supporting me on this journey and helping me uh, get this podcast up and running. Love y'all. Till next time. Peace.